Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. I'm Chad. I'm Liz. And we are in episode 95, where we'll be covering the remainder, the exciting conclusion, the grand finale of Brandon Sanderson's Warbreaker. Damn straight we are. Damn straight. It was a smashing good time. You want to lay our spoiler policy out there? It was color with a U. Our spoiler policy is simply that Liz has read these books. I have not read these books. However, we're here at the end of a book, so obviously we're going to spoil everything inside of Warbreaker. Spoiling the hell out of it. All of it. Like rotten shark in a mason jar. We will not be spoiling plot points of other books. We may discuss general Cosmere terms a bit, but we will not spoil other books for you. That's what we do here on the Duke and Duchess podcast. We don't spoil people. All day. So what did you think of the end of the book, Chad? I enjoyed the end of the book. It was a good ending. Lots of stuff happened. I read it late at night, like I finished this book at like 3 a.m. So I had to go back and reread certain sections of it because there Mm -hmm. were still things that were cloudy to Mm -hmm. me. And there are probably still things that are cloudy to me now. But overall, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the characters in this book a lot. I did. And this book, definitely, the ending of this, one of the characters' losses gave me some feelings. Like, I had forgotten, and and we've talked before about how I read this book years ago, and I read it right after Mistborn, and I was all still wrapped up in that, and I was kind of like, eh. It didn't, I, I would have always said this was definitely one of my least favorite Brandon Sanderson books until I read it recently when we were getting ready to cover Stormlight Archive and I thought I better brush up and just read all the Cosmere stuff again. I I read this and I was blown away by how much better it was not, I guess, not coming off of Mistborn. And I just, I really loved it. And so I was really excited that we were going to cover this kind of interspersed with our Stormlight Archive coverage. And we wrap it up right before we're going to wrap up Words of Radiance. So That's right. It works out well. So this is episode 95, but in episode 96, we will be returning to Words of Radiance. Just a little housekeeping. Yes. And we'll be reading chapters... 76 through 80. Boom. Coming up on the end of that book, too. Yeah, I've already read read those chapters, so... (laughs) Oh, you're stuck. I'm sorry. Nothing I can do now but (laughs) sit on my hands. (laughs) Just sit here. All right, would you like to get started into this war breaker extravaganza? Indeed. We will start with chapter 41. And can I say, I miss chapter titles when I read this book. (laughs) It's just the number. Chapter 41. I need a snappy title. Okay, that's okay. We're moving on. Chapter 41. Vivenna is still homeless on the street, and things aren't going well. She doesn't beg very well, imagine that. She's sick and she's starving, enough so that she even considers joining the prostitutes, who are at least warm and fed. She gets taken by a gang of thugs who plan to sell her to Denth, but she is saved by Vasher and Nightblood, who carry her off as she collapses. Nightblood is hilarious. I love Nightblood. There is one problem I find with this book. What's that? All of the two-word combination names, you know, Blush Bringer and Light Flusher and Night Buzzer and Skip Weaver. Don't care for it? No, they just get confusing. And then I 
I'm never unclear of who I'm talking about, but they just come out of my mouth in random, weird combinations of things. You do that with other books, too. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) That's true. I have... I think I call Kalinar. See? Who? Kalinar. 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 That's right. Daladin. Daladin. Oh, that's beautiful. I call, I'm shipping Daladar and Kaladin now, so I can call them Daladin. <laughs> Kaladar. <laughs> yeah, I can't call Kaladin Kaladin. I call him Dalinar. And Dalinar, I call Kaladin. I can never get any of them straight. So I guess that's fair. <laughs> Right, but Nightblood is, it's fun to see Nightblood in action here. And we also see Viv really at her bottom, or at least we hope that this is her bottom, because it d- doesn't seem like mm-hmm. she's going to be able to get much lower. No, no. I, I do have a th- I do have a theory Ooh. about Nightblood, and since it doesn't really make sense for us to do predictions at the end of this book, because right. we're at the end of this book, yeah. I'll just go ahead and spill it now. I think Nightblood shares the same spren as the stick. <laughs> the stick from Way of Kings. I'm a stick. I mean, there are crazier theories out there. And Nightblood's like, I was designed to destroy evil. Right. But I don't know if there are many crazier theories out there. Yeah, I do think that this overall section, the way we broke it up. Right. And I don't think we did this by any, it wasn't that we were looking to do it this way. This book, unlike other books, we sort of divided it by happenstance, just where we sort of happened to be at the time. Whereas typically with a book, you'll go through and find logical breakpoints. We didn't do that here. Having said that, it's a really neat arc that begins at chapter 41 until you get to the end of the book. Because as you say, this really is Vivenna at her most broken. She is absolutely about as, as low as she can get. You know, Siri has a more of a kind of smooth character arc. Vivenna's character is really broken into like before and after mm-hmm. her time on the street. So it's interesting to compare the two. Vivenna's growth as such comes off as more sudden. Yeah. Brandon Sanderson talks about how much he liked writing Vivenna, mm-hmm. but that it was a shame that she had to be so unlikable for the first part of the book <laughs> because people just, you know, tended to then not like her. But really, when you when you see her at the end of the book, and he always had plans to write a sequel and may someday write a sequel, I think tentatively called Nightblood. Um, he was going to really, there's a lot, if you read through the annotations. Is it a buddy cop, buddy cop novel? I really hope it is. Turn in your badge and yourself, Nightblood. You're off the force. You can't make me turn in my sword. I am a sword. I was designed to kill evil. So, yeah, we see Nightblood in action here, and we watch him, like, disintegrate a dude's arm with his black, smoky breath. Yeah, we actually get to see him in action. Right. Uh, to this point, we haven't. We, right. We know he's, you know, killing a bunch of people, but we don't really know how. Right. So the the, the thugs who are about to take Vivenna come upon this sword just sitting there, and this is what we've seen in the past. Vasher will leave the sword somewhere or someone will steal it. He walks by later and everybody's dead. So now we see that 
Nightblood apparently sort of possesses whoever picks him up and he turns around and kills all of his friends and then kills himself. Mm-hmm. It's pretty damn terrifying. Yeah, and it's it appears that there's a sort of a poisoning factor to it. Yes. It looks that way. Yes. Whereas veins are turning black. It's pretty gross. Yeah. This is a Brandon Sanderson novel. Not that I really th- have thought one way or the other about the other. So this isn't a judgment on the other novels. But this novel would fit really well in a movie, I think. I definitely can picture a lot of the scenes in this. It's described very cinematically. I, I definitely yeah. can see Nathan Fillion as Denth. Uh, That's yeah. who I always picture. <laughs> Not Matthew McConaughey? All right, all right. Oh, no. No, I think Nathan Fillion would be brilliant as Denth because he's always like the charming good guy. You know the thing I love about Lifeless? <laughs> the older I get, they stay the same age. <laughs> no, I didn't have an original joke for that. I was just going to. I was waiting. That's okay. No, no, I didn't. It's late. <laughs> it's late. So what about you? Did you have any like dream casting actors pop into your head? We're not going to do a whole dream casting section, but. I think Vivenna could be Ava Green. Yes. Yeah. I think uh light song could be Bradley Cooper. Oh, perfect. Yeah, that'd be perfect. ScarJo for Blush Weaver. I was going to say Cecily Strong for Blush Nipple. I mean, Blush Weaver. Blush Nipple. <laughs> so in Chapter 42, Light Song bullies his way into seeing the All Mother. For weeks, Blush Weaver has been trying to manipulate All Mother into giving up her lifeless commands. But she will not budge. To All Mother's surprise, Light Song gives his commands to her in an attempt to balance Blush Weaver's power. To Light Song's surprise, All Mother responds by giving him her commands, telling him that he won't escape his responsibilities so easily. No, you have the lifeless commands. (laughs) No, you have the (laughs) lifeless commands. Damn you pious people and your faith, (laughs) believing things and stuff. No, I do take one issue with your description of the chapter. Okay. Light Song does not bully his way into seeing Godmother. He he Tom Greens his way into seeing All <laughs> yes, Mother. He does. He annoys his way. <laughs> He's like, come out here, Godmother. I've All pa- Mother. I've painted a pornographic scene on the cover of your car. Right. <laughs> so true. And the the dead squirrel is not getting old at this no, point. Doesn't Never get old. gets old. Really doesn't really doesn't get old. Again, good you know, straight out of Ice Age, Disney would have a blast with this movie. <laughs> the All Mother is an interesting character. I mean, we've got this world where the the returned, their gods come back as idealized versions of humanity, but she came back as an old as like an old woman Mm -hmm. and all the others came back like with these buff physiques looking all like Victoria's secret model. Yeah. And that's not how she came back. Walking out of a Hugo boss ad. Yeah. It's just a, she's an interesting character that this is who she saw as, as what a God looks like. And she's definitely the most serious and committed 
of the gods that we have met. She's also the oldest too. Is that correct? I'm, I don't mean yes. in terms of physical age. Uh, no, I I feel like I feel like actually the young god that we met, the one who was kind oh, of in a boy's yeah, body, yeah. was one of the older ones. That's right. But okay. she does have a history with Light Song, and she and Light Song were both friends with Calm Seer, who is the the return that Light Song thinks a lot about mm-hmm. his friend who was the last one to give up her breath to heal someone. Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting backstory there in the annotations. I don't know if you read any of them no. or don't read the annotations because they were supposed to be full of spoilers. Some of them have spoilers, yes. Yeah. So I didn't I did not read them. I could have, I guess, gone back and read them. If you're interested. But I didn't do that. He Brandon Sanderson does put a lot of backstory in there that he has thought out. He's a lot of things that he starts to explain um, that are going to be explained more in the sequel, that kind of thing about the magic system. So plugging right along in chapter 43, Vivenna wakes up in Vasher's custody. She's been asleep for a week, recovering from the Hallandrin version of malaria, plus general homeless syndrome. Vasher returns her breaths, takes her out to try and undo some of the damage that she did under Denth's power. You call it homeless? I call it New Hampshire camping. New Hampshire camping. Just, you know, it's what you do when you get a fine arts degree and you live in New Hampshire. (laughs) So we find out that not only was was Vivenna, you know, homeless and and part of her disorientation was from that, but it was also because she was sick. And in the annotations, Brandon Sanderson explains that this happens when people lose their breath. Their immune system has been artificially strengthened by by the breath that they're holding mm-hmm. and so when they lose it all of a sudden they just get sick they get sick all the time and you know vivenna coming from a country where she's not used to the germs mm-hmm. she just got deathly ill and if she hadn't been rescued by basher it would have killed her so that like it adds to the feeling that that time in her story was kind of was separate from the rest of her life. Gives it this sort of disjointed feeling, and I think it's meant to feel that way. Mm-hmm. It even more cements the idea of her being a different person before and after her time on the streets. Well, and we see that right away because Vivenna, you know, she's aware at this point that Denth had basically com- had her completely fooled, right? And she's wrestling in this chapter with this whole idea of does she want to help Vasher, who seems to be doing the right thing, but so did Denth. Right. You know, and Denth seemed to give her all these choices, but really they weren't really choices. Now she doesn't know what to do with Vasher. But nonetheless, she feels like he's trying to do the right thing and their goals align. So she decides to help him. But instead of walking into these scenarios where she clearly is out of her depth, but is pretending to be, you know, the the Idrian princess and I'm going to rally the people. Now she's before these people and she's really humbled and she makes no pretense at being overly royal or blue blooded or trying to cheer people on. She recognizes that she doesn't have anything that they're really interested in and that they're the things that are important to them in their day-to-day lives are more around survival than some sort of sense of the motherland. 
Yeah, this is a huge character moment for Vivenna, and it's a big contrast between her time with Denth and her time with Basher. You hear like a huge kind of sucking sound at the end of this chapter, and that was the sound of Vivenna just pulling her head out of her ass. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I like the way this this theme of the inevitability, quote unquote, of war, causing war, gets addressed over and over here. And we see this in Stormlight Archive, too. This idea that, well, war is inevitable, so we should all go to war mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, that's interesting. And I like that we have Vasher here, who's sort of the anti-Denth. Okay, Denth is is natural-born leader. He kind of draws people to him. Vasher has a charisma of like negative two. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's not a. Uh, he's not a people person. He's not a people person. Um, but he's there, like speaking out against this idea that that war is the only answer here, and we just better be ready for it. He's sort of the lone voice. In chapter forty-four, Susebrin and Siri share another adorable do, picnic. Do, Doing it. Doing it. He's beginning to believe her theory that the priests can't be trusted. They realize that the reason the priests are so desperate for an heir is that somewhere an infant has returned. It seems likely that the priests plan to switch this returned infant with Ciri's child in order to preserve the royal breath. Siri and Susebrin finally understand Bluefinger's warning against having a child. Of course, nothing makes you hornier than realizing you really, really, really shouldn't have sex. So Siri and Susebrin <laughs> end up getting it on. Doing it. Doing it. <laughs> I mean, this is as close to porn as you're going to get with Brandon Sanderson. So we'll fill in the gaps that he doesn't. No, we won't. Well, that's my all my notes are... <laughs> everything i wrote <laughs> i wrote Care to give us the highlights i wrote fan fiction for after you know between chapter 44 and 45 <laughs> i didn't really write that so it's an interesting plot reveal though when they kind of put together what they assume the priest's plan is and i think it's interesting that we have siri and if you read Warbreaker directly coming off of Mistborn, without spoiling plot points for that book, like you have the evil god emperor and the priests that serve him are all evil and it's just evil, 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 evil. Mm-hmm. So then rolling right into this book where it's like, oh, the evil god emperor. Oh, but wait, he's actually not evil. And then, you know, the evil priests, but they end up not being evil either. Mm-hmm. And so that's... I don't know if you if you read it in that order, it's it's a nice contrast. But at this point, we have Siri assuming and feeding the reader the idea that, oh, the priests are definitely up to no good. And let's face it, in fantasy literature, a lot of times They're the priests no are not up to any good. <laughs> that is tip. I've been reading a lot of Brent Weeks and <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's true of his writing. I'm just uh, most I would say most fantasy literature. I mean, the priests are up to no good. I've been reading a lot of Zelazny, and if it tells me anything, we're going to get knifed. (laughs) So, yeah. It's interesting because now, having read the end of the book, we can look at this and realize that they were correct about about a child, an infant returned. Right. 
So a lot of that was was guessed right, but we were Not wrong about yeah. some very important things. Chapter 45, Light Song Dreams of Tellier Burning and a Black Sword. So we've got this really powerful, like, like tiny one paragraph chapter here. And it just kind of, it packs like an emotional punch after we get this emotional chapter previous where Siri and Sisebrin finally consummate their marriage. They kind of realize a huge secret gets revealed. And then you've got this little short chapter. And it's not a coincidence that Lysong has this dream at the same time that Siri and Sisebrin are popping their respective cherries. Mm. It, it It's really well done. As you just stated, I'm not going to say it any better than you did, but it's just really well done coming off of that very sweet moment. You you get into chapter 45 and you're like, oh, no, what have they done? Like, right. you, you just... <laughs> just the fear of every... You're just like... Oh, every yes. virgin <laughs> out there. I destroyed the world with oh. my sex making. <laughs> now my. everything's fucked. These are the genitals that will stride the world in death and fire. What have I done? Everyone's going to know. Chapter 46. Vivenna and Vasher continue their work. It's not glamorous. It's exhausting. But it brings Vivenna some much needed growth and self-awareness. She also learns more about awakening. So this is when we finally get the the little bit of exposition about the magic system. It's yeah. interesting because, you know, in some books, in Stormlight, Brandon Sanderson puts it right out there. First prologue, first book. This is what we see. We see a character using the magic system and he's kind of explaining in his mind exactly what he's doing as he's doing it. And you get that in Mistborn as well. In this book, we get it kind of at the halfway point here. I would disagree with that. I think we get a pretty good explanation of the majority of the magic system right up front. There's this hole right. in terms of the the details of the awakening process right. that sort of get colored in here. But you, you still get a lot of that up front, Brandon Sanderson, I made a really cool world. You want to look at it? Sort of exposition yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, a little bit, but it's not fully explained until till we get into here. And actually, there's a lot of it that apparently isn't even fully explained until the sequel that Brandon Sanderson hasn't written yet. Um, yeah, I, I would say that we get overall less detail about this magic system than we have gotten about the magic system in Stormlight Archive. Right. It's not nearly as complicated, or what we're seeing is not nearly as complicated. There may very well be layers hidden behind this that we don't know about, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there are. Mm -hmm. But she is waiting in a tiny-ass little room. I have no comment about it. It's just, I was like, boy, that's a, a tiny-ass little room. How are you going to They have her basically waiting in something that's the size of, like, a, like a small couch, like a love seat. <laughs> She's like, this is my room. I'm like, that's not a room. That's like barely a hidey hole. Like, but she doesn't feel or note sort of any of the negative parts of it, right. which I think is a really important part of showing 
the degree to which her humility is true. Mm-hmm. And there's this theme too addressed of the desire to be humble becoming a form of pride. And that is what Vivenna kind of realizes her faith has taken her to that place. Um, the Idrians are all about avoiding color, avoiding ostentation, avoiding drawing attention to themselves. But that if you take that too far and you're not motivated by the right things, then that becomes just as prideful as showing yourself off. Absolutely. So we learn that there are three types of biochromatic entities in this chapter. We have you have the returned who are sentient, living Mm-hmm. you know, biochromatic entities who basically have like one giant breath. Um, and then they can live for up to a week. And after that, they have to consume breath in order to keep living. You have type two biochromatic entities, which are lifeless, basically zombies or, you know, necromancy. So an awakener can bring a, a dead body back to life. Or you have type three, which are awakened objects who are not sentient either. Vasher's little straw man. And then Viv asks about, well, what about, can you awaken an object with sentience? And then he's like, dun, 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 I have to go, you know. We don't talk we, about night, I mean, we don't, we don't talk, talk about, about that here. Exactly. We don't talk about nipple, I mean, night, I mean, nothing, nothing. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Um, I have somewhere very important to be. <laughs> Can't stand around talking to you. <laughs> He's a grumpy old cuss. He is. He is. It's fantastic. It's also, I I'd wondered if you picked up on his. Probably not. <laughs> his discomfort whenever Viv talks about Denth's lifeless soldier that he has, that they call Claude. Nope. Didn't pick up on it. You did not pick up on that. Nope. Didn't well, pick up on it. I don't know if it was this chapter or the next chapter. That uh, the next chapter we have with Vasher, that I realized that he was really, really, really old because he talks about things in such a way as though he experienced them. Right. Now, I did not put two and two together to realize who he actually was. Right. Until we got, you know, right to the very end. But I realized, I think it was this chapter, uh, they're talking about, I think it's when he's explaining all these things, and he's like, oh yeah, back when this happened, and mm -hmm. there was this war, blah, 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 and she's like, his recollection is not as though he's reading it from a book. Mm -hmm. He's recalling these things as though he was there. Mm -hmm. And he talks about them with the same kind of authority and certainty as somebody who knows definitively what happened, as opposed to reading a bunch of histories about something. So I was like, this son bitch old. But you you didn't figure out at that point that he was one of the five scholars or anything no. like that, no. I didn't really have a good enough understanding of who the five scholars were to even put him in that sort of place. Right. And I forget where they've been mentioned, but I don't I don't yeah. think we've gotten to the point where they really talk about who they were. I feel like they were talked about Back when we went into that uh, garden where there are all the statues that, l right? But I didn't, I didn't put two and two together. So we had, you had Arsteel and Yesteel who were brothers, mm -hmm. 
And then you had Denth. I forget what his scholar name was, but Denth. And I think his, it was Veratrelides, right? Veratrelides. Yep. Very good memory. So you had Arsteel and Yesteel, who were brothers. You had Veratrelides and Shashara, who were brother and sister. Mm-hmm. And then you had Vasher. Yeah. Who was called something else as well. Um, obviously, Vasher killed Shashara. And he also killed Arsteel. However, you have met Arsteel in this book. Can you guess who he was? What? I thought he was dead. He is dead. Oh, he's the guy from the very beginning who was hanging up there that he... No. Not the guy who was trying to start the riots? Oh. No. (laughs) No, I have no idea. He is dead, but you've met him. Nope. No idea. He's the lifeless soldier. He's Claude. Oh, that's Claude. See, when this conversation started out, I was like, well, this guy Claude is clearly somebody important. Right. But then we went through this long circular exercise, (laughs) and I completely forgot that point. Well, and we've been because I'm old this. and I can't hold that many strands in the old duder's head. <laughs> we've been covering this so piecemeal that you don't, you know, you just forget in the beginning of the book how Jules is obviously kind of weirdly attached to Claude. Yeah, that, you know. Yeah, well, and not only that, but Claude, you you knew Claude was somebody important mm-hmm. because he, despite being a dead zombie, he fights better than any swordsman. Right. You know any. 10 swordsmen who are alive. Right. So you knew that there was something about the guy, but no, I didn't, did not put that together. Yeah, the the problem with the way we read this is because we did do it so piecemeal. It's been a, it's been a long time reading this one book, Mm. but with big gaps in the cover, so you forget things. Right. Normally, I would have let you like figure that out more organically, but I just be like, "Now we're at the end." Did now, you figure it you out? Have, now you have to. Re- That's put out, who it was. Put out all the reveals now. In chapter forty-seven, Light Song struggles with the decision that All Mother has placed on him. He wants nothing more than to give up and walk away. Instead, he asks Larimer about the woman he always sees in his dreams. When he finds out that she is still alive and would be in danger if Tellier fell, he decides to step up and take control of the lifeless. Gut check time. So this this whole idea of exploring religion and what makes a what makes him a god is interesting. Mm-hmm. And at one point Larimer turns to him and says, "We worship you. That's what makes you a god." So so what do you do when you have a god who says he's not one and doesn't want to be in the position that he's in? But you know in the end he steps up and decides to take responsibility in order to protect someone who's important to him. I would just like to clarify for the record however, that's not why he's a god. Well, in the context of this book. I is what I'm talking about. I understand. <laughs> I mean, yeah, people worship all kinds of weird things and other people. Well, not only that, but he's a god because he's returned and he has a huge institution constantly feeding him breath. And we still don't really know the mechanism behind the returned. They're they're a biochromatic entity type one, but but why? Why are they why does that happen? We still don't really know the answer behind that. Correct. We don't know what whatever power, kind of overarching power that sends them back. All we know is that when they went, when they are crossing to the other side, they saw something that made them come back. And we know that 
you know, at the end of the book, it's revealed that Light Song had seen Tellier falling, and that is why he came back to try and prevent it. Mm-hmm. And he does. Spoiler. Sorry. <laughs> In chapter 48, Sisebrin tells Siri that he has decided to make himself known to his people, to take back control of his kingdom. He and Siri come up with an escape plan. Mama wants pancakes. <laughs> Siri wants pancakes after sex pancakes. Mama wants pancakes. You know, it's a surprisingly rhythmic word. Pancake, pancake. It's true. I mean, they're lying in bed. It's the morning. The only thing that could really make this more better, more better. That is the kind of articulate coverage (laughs) that we have for you here on the Duke and Duchess podcast. More better banana pancakes. I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. <laughs> so the plan basically amounts to Siri pleading with Light Song for help and then Susebrun showing everyone his tongue stump. Like, yeah, by the way, worst plan ever. Masterminds, they are not. No. I mean, you have like this 18-year-old girl who's been incredibly sheltered all her life and then this 50-year-old man who makes her look worldly, he's been so sheltered. <laughs> I mean, he only just learned how to how to re- how to read and write. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these these are not members of the CIA. Yeah, at this point you you can tell that their plan is doomed, but you're just hoping that it turns out for the best in the end. They should have just ordered pancakes. Things would have <laughs> went better for them. In chapter 49, Vasher and Nightblood watch Vivenna practice awakening. She's progressing more quickly than seems possible, and Nightblood thinks she's pretty. Vasher and Vivenna go on a mission to discover what Denth was really up to when his gang attacked a priest's carriage. They find the priest's daughter held captive in exchange for his pro-war vote. They rescue the girl returning home, and Vivenna redeems herself in Vasher's eyes. So this is a turning point in their relationship. Yeah, because even though at this point we've seen that Vivenna has changed, Vasher doesn't really know that. We're inside of Vivenna's head. Right. So we can sort of see all that stuff. And it's not as though Vasher really knew her beforehand anyway to really witness the changes. He, I mean, he observed her, but he didn't really know her. We also see Vasher kind of lose control for the first time and almost draw night blood. He's really enraged when he when they find that this this child has been kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And we see uh, Vivenna kind of bring him back to himself before he goes off the deep end. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing as to, you know, Vasher and, and the danger that he's carrying around with him. The other thing that I thought was interesting, uh, there were two other little things that happened. I don't really know what they mean, but... When he, when Vasher, that is, was getting enraged, it specifically said that he appeared larger. Yes. Don't know what that is. If Well, that's a, a hint as, as to him being returned. And if you mm. remember at the very end of the book, when he reveals himself, he's he looks like a return. He gets bigger. Oh, he's yeah. able to change his form at will. Oh, I forgot that. Okay. So that's kind of like a, a little bit of foreshadowing there. And then... Uh, for whatever reason, the little girl wants nothing to do with Vivenna. But despite Vasher being, you know, enraged, she runs right into his arms. 
And that's like another little hint because children and animals love returned. They just have a, a natural affinity for them. Check. That's in the annotations too. I thought this was an interesting comment as well. The priests are always easy to blame. They make convenient scapegoats. After all, anyone with a strong faith different from your own must either be a crazy zealot or a lying manipulator. So here's where we see mm-hmm. a, a priest that Vasher trusts. And it's kind of a crack in that the evil priest kind of facade that or the that trope that we've assumed is what's been going on. Yeah. But here's a priest who's not for the war, who is someone who is really a good guy who was then changed his vote in order to just protect his family. Well, yeah. And I think this is the first hint you start to get. I shouldn't say the first hint, but it's another hint you start to get that the priests are sort of what they appear. Right. There's not there's no larger sort of subterfuge, at least with the main body of the priest, the, the bulk of them. In chapter 50, Blushweaver is ecstatic that Lightsong has the other half of the lifeless commands. He won't give up the commands to her, though, despite his bitterness at being placed in charge. Ciri's escape plan is foiled by the priests who confine her to her rooms for the sake of her as yet non-existent unborn child. Vivenna doesn't react well to this news and makes Vasher promise to help rescue Ciri. The war vote is finally taken, and it all comes down to Lightsong, who decides to put things off a little bit longer. I mean, I just have one thing here that yeah. I just couldn't get past. Okay. So at some point, Blushweaver comes out, and I guess she's wearing a dress that actually covers up her giant tatas. <laughs> and Lightsong thinks, it's amazing how good she looks in something like that when she takes the time to respect herself. And I had to just go, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> Sorry. That one just got an UG vote from me. Slut shaming's not cool. Just saying. I'm just saying, if a girl has giant tatas and she wants to show them off, hey. doesn't mean she doesn't respect herself. She's allowed to. We all know that, right? God. Chad, if you had giant tatas, you would flaunt the hell out of those suckers. I'd, I'd be swinging them everywhere I went. You would? I'd be using them to tie things down in the back of the truck. <laughs> I'd smack the kids across the street with them. <laughs> Lasso. Sure, if you know how boobs work. No, apparently I don't. <laughs> I've never had that. I don't. <laughs> I have a theory. Okay. I have a theory, however, that that there's a high degree of correlation between cup size and grade point average. And at Watch this it. at this point, Watch it. I'm just saying I'm a C average student. I have C cups. <laughs> maybe, maybe a B cup. I thought it was really frustrating what happens to Siri. Yes. Yes. We see her just starting to like take, getting ready to, to take some agency. And it's like, oh, sorry, locked in a room. What I also question, and I just don't recall, is, you know, this is right after they consummate their marriage. Right. She's been under the impression this whole time that her bouncing around and moaning on the bed has fooled these priests. Mm -hmm. But immediately after consummating their marriage, they lock her ass down. I don't know, however, if that's because they were hip to her the whole time, or if it's simply the timing of the fact that there's a returned infant. 
So in the in the annotations, Brandon Sanderson explains that it's actually the war vote going the way that it did, um, Light Song mm. walking off and not declaring war that caused the the pan call to kind of decide to move forward with their plan and that that in turn made the priest nervous and decided you know what we just have to we just have to lock her up and pretend like she's pregnant so we can get this returned infant out there we can get our stuff moving forward Mm, got okay the the unforeseen third option right In chapter 51, Vasher goes to rescue Siri, but he's taken in a surprise attack by Denth and Tonkfa. Ooh, and now it starts. Now now here's where it starts getting real. Yep. So I think it's interesting how Vasher is on his way and he's contemplating killing Lightsong. Right. Of all people. When he gets ambushed by Denth and Tongfa. Yes. Which, if he had carried out, if he had carried that out, would have completely turned everything the opposite way of what he wanted. Right. Which, Light Song, I see, I almost said Light Weaver. Light, Light Johnson. Light Johnson. <laughs> So Light Loafer shows us that they can have these dreams that are prescient, and there's clearly something divine mm-hmm. or metaphysical going on here. But Vasher, another one of the returned, the most ancient of the returned, one of the original five scholars, shows us that they're not prescient in any way at all. They're really not godlike to any degree. I would argue that the glimpses that they come back with in their dreams are prescient. Fair point. Um, they are not omniscient. That's what I meant That's to say. That's probably what you meant That's to say. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. definitely not omniscient. But I, I think it definitely is supported that they come back knowing something. And then, you know, when we see at the end, we see Light Song's moment where he knew what he was supposed to do. The, his dreams of... of Blush Weaver and Larimer and the God King mm-hmm. all being together. He knew that that was the moment he came back for. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because one of the things that is so confusing through the last half of the book, once you start to sort of figure out what's going on, is the whole why do they give up their breath? Right. Because, you know, earlier in the book, I'm speculating, well, they get to a certain point, they know too much, the priest off them. You know, the God King gets, starts to get out of control, they off them. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that it's nothing nearly as insidious as that. It's exactly what you said. They return for a moment for, to, for something very important, some pivotal thing to occur and it's in that moment that they realize and recognize that, at which point they voluntarily give up their breath. But what I love is that you don't know that until the very, very end. And I will, guys, we'll get more into it when we get to that chapter. But when Light Song realizes his moment, up until that point, it's unclear. Do they really, we haven't seen from a point of view or really understood why any of the returned would give up their breath. 
So yeah, it's unclear exactly. as to whether that's true or not. No, and that's exactly the sort of magic of the way it's written because it's up up to that very point that unclear fact why why would they do this gives you let your brain run through all this sort of speculation as to what might be going on and of course you come up with things that are far more insidious than than reality i like that's masterful writing it is that's good it's good writing I really like some of the parts in this chapter where Vasher is talking about Nightblood. And I in particular like when Nightblood is telling Vasher that he didn't like it in the closet. Um, and he's like, what? You're a, you're a sword. You're in a sheath. You're in the dark all the time. And Nightblood says, a person knows when they're in darkness, even when they can't see. And I think it's interesting how Vasher underestimates Nightblood. He helped create Nightblood with Shashara and... In, in a lot of ways, and this is in the annotations as well, Nightblood is fixed in one point in time. So the, mm-hmm. the time that Nightblood was created by Shashara, it, it has a hard time moving past that, that and acknowledging that things have changed from that moment where, where it was imprinted. So the idea that Shashara is dead, it doesn't quite get that. Yeah, that, yeah. you know, Vasher and Denth aren't friends anymore. It doesn't, doesn't quite get that. Yep. Um, but Vasher also en- underestimates how much Nightblood can grow and become more aware. So he explains to us in this chapter that it takes a thousand breaths to awaken an object of steel and give it sentience, and that that was what they had done, or that Shashara had done with him. And that's why he killed her, because he realized, like, this was a, a monstrosity. And that they were both one of the five scholars. And that's when we kind of figured that out and that it was told and that, you know, they worked so hard to come up with the the perfect command to give this mm-hmm. this object. And they told it to destroy evil. But who gets to define what's evil? Exactly. And that's definitely one of the main things that get addressed in this book. And Vasher and Nightblood have a whole discussion about whether or not Lightbringer is evil. Nightblood says, well, you know, you don't want there to be a war, and he could start a war, so that means he's evil. Yeah. So we should just preemptively kill him. Yeah. And it's in arguing with the sword that Vasher then decides not to kill him because he mm. realizes that he, you know, that that's not going to be the right thing to do. And Vasher finally just tells Nightblood, I don't understand my morality either, you know, but he knows what the right thing to do is, but he can't even explain it to to a sword that's inside his own mind. Yeah. Uh, but Brandon Sanderson raises this question a lot in a lot of his different books. Is there an absolute morality? You know, what's good, what's evil? But in this book, it gets really overtly discussed yeah, more so does. than another. Yeah, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. But then he gets waylaid. And it doesn't matter anyway. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we, we note that Denth is too strong-willed to be taken in by the sword even though he's not necessarily a good guy. So it's not as though the whole, quote, pure of heart thing right. is really a determiner of much of anything. Well, Well, it determines know. something, but yeah. it can be overcome. Also, we find out that he has nearly as much history with it as Vasher. Um, in the annotations, Brandon Sanderson explains that if the sword has fed off of someone but doesn't kill them, they gain some immunity to it. So that's a little tidbit for you. I've spent years building up a resistance to Nightblood's poison. Exactly. 
<laughs> oh, how I wish it could have been Iocane powder instead. <laughs> Seemed much simpler. And as Denth takes him, he tells Vasher, we're going to talk about what you did to my sister. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, we we forget and we don't really, it's discussed, but not in an extensive amount of detail. We forget that Denth has a reason to be pissed at Vasher. Right. And we don't, we understand from Vasher's perspective that there was a lot of conflict around Nightblood and the and the creation of Nightblood. And it's cool how that is sort of this thing that motivates and powers all their relationships. But we don't really know enough about the decision that Vasher made to know if it was justified or not. Right. And we know that there's history there with Vasher killing their friend Arsteel. That gets brought up many, many, many times. Yeah. So of the people who have been killed... Of the five, the people who have been killed, they've all been killed by Vasher. Yeah. So, yeah, you can sort of see why he's an asshole from the outside. And why Denth would would have a reason to to hate him. Right. But we also see Denth working towards starting a war because he that's what he's been paid to do. And Vasher working to prevent it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting contrast. Yeah, there's no real white hats here. At least not amongst the two of them. I like that. You can never keep them clean. In Chapter 52, Lightsong struggles with the decision to go to war. He still has too many unanswered questions about why the factions are so intent on attacking quickly. He breaks into Mercy Star's palace to get a look at the tunnels hidden underneath. He comes across Blushweaver being accosted. His rescue attempt does not go as planned, and Lightsong and Larimer are captured as well. Meanwhile... Siri is locked in her room. Staring at all of her posters. <laughs> so this chapter Bauhaus, starts... Bauhaus, the Smiths. That's how you know someone's a real tortured soul. Right. If they have a Smiths poster. So one of the things I like about this chapter, and one of the things I like about several things that happen at the end of this book are all the ways in which the main characters attempt to do something and then fall flat on their goddamn faces. It does not go right. I'm going to punch somebody, and it just and they just get their asses handed to them. You know, there's... Although, you know, in the end, some of them live, some of them don't live, but it, it, there's no sort of plot armor just by virtue of you know i'm one of the main characters i love the way it gets built up through the whole book you know light song is just trying to discover the things he used to be good at (laughs) and he thinks he was a cop and so he's like i bet i'm good at the sword i bet i'm good at the sword and all this stuff and then he pulls out a sword and he just sucks at it (laughs) he's a complete idiot at it no 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 idea at all I think the only character I felt like that really had real plot armor and couldn't die was Siri. I think everybody else I could have seen dying at the end of this book. Right. In you know, in some circumstance. Right. And about half of them do. Right. I thought it was interesting. At the beginning of this chapter, there's a scene where 
Light Song is sitting in a room in his palace and he's having all of his possessions put into a pile. His nice furniture, his clothes, his jewelry, his all his nice stuff is mm-hmm. put into a pile. And he says to Larimer, who comes in, isn't it amazing, all these treasures, but if you put them all together, they just look like junk. And how it's just interesting how a thing's value is what you use it for, like how you use it. And that's an interesting thing to raise, right, as Light Song finally like takes steps to become useful and to actually do something. I think it's also interesting about what it says about, although I don't, I don't know that this analogy fits perfectly with Light Song's frame of mind at the time, but I think it's interesting as well to think how much something's value changes when you're suddenly confronted with a decision that could mean your your death, mm-hmm. you know, or it could mean war, or in Light Song's case, he does die, but he doesn't know that at this time. Right, and it's interesting because at this point to Light Song, the stakes are not very high. I mean, the idea of war, he is worried about that. He doesn't want there to be a war, but he doesn't really see himself as being in any danger. You know, he breaks yeah. into to Mercy Star's palace. For him, the worst case scenario is that he's going to get scolded and like kicked out. He has no yeah. idea... <laughs> Where this chapter begins and where it ends for right. him, very different places. And I love the scene where they're, he and Larimer are hiding in the bushes, and he's like, keep up, sucker!" And Larimer's like, ah, and scuttles after him. Yeah. And when you, when you find out the truth about their relationship, it makes that even more kind yeah. of funny. Mm-hmm. In chapter 53, Vivenna is waiting anxiously for Vasher's return. She sets out to find and rescue him. Siri is dragged from her room by Trelides, who claims that he is trying to help her. Old Chaps the Fisherman finds Nightblood, who was rudely thrown into the sea by Denth. Vasher is confronted by Denth, and Blushweaver is murdered by the priests, while Lightsong is forced to give up his command codes in order to save Larimer. He also finds out who he was before he returned. So this is like where the action really Shit starts getting real. gets real. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, jumping to the end here, we've all read it. The point where they kill Blushweaver, you're like, oh shit, right? Like, yeah, they're not fucking around. Mm-hmm. I really like the way they highlight the intimacy that Vivenna has with Vasher versus Denth. Even though she liked Denth, she thought of him as her friend, she didn't really care about him. Yeah. Because she hadn't grown as a person to the point where she kind of could care about someone like that. So it just highlights her character growth. I like old chaps. I really thought... I loved old chaps. I thought old chaps was our steel, but I (laughs) completely missed the boat on that. Yeah, I loved uh, old chaps' conversations with Nightblood. Yeah, yeah. And... uh, you know, he's staring at it, and, and Nightblood's like, I guess you could admire me for a little bit first. <laughs> we also find out here that Vasher killed Shashara in order to stop any more Nightbloods from being made. Yeah. Because she didn't see the sword as being as big of a threat as he as did. He did. Yeah. And she was going to share the discovery with other countries, and so that's why he killed her. I also really liked Vivenna. She accepts that she's flawed and she chooses to act anyway. 
And that's something that's so different from her character. And her character was locked in this perfectionism that if she's not perfect, then she's worthless. And it was just neat to see her kind of own the fact that she's not perfect, but that she's going to do the best that she can. Well, I think I also think that's just interesting in sort of our own lives and how often we get plagued by this fixed mindset where we think, well, if I'm not good at something or if I don't immediately shine at something or if I if I have a problem or a slight flaw in one area, I'll just abandon it wholeheartedly and move in another direction and make no attempt to grow in that area. It's just a common thing that I think everybody faces or has to go through at some point in their lives. And you have to learn to get over that. But when do you realize it? You know, some people realize it early in life. And some people realize it very late in life. I wrote growth versus fixed mindset in the margins. What? I did. Let's talk about Light Song's identity when that finally oh, yes. came out. Because mm-hmm. for me, that's a favorite part of this book. That's a, Yeah, absolutely. It's a good reveal. When Larimer, you know, who's this character who has been unshakable, just like completely an emotional rock this whole book, and he finally just breaks down. Well, but you, and you find out why, you find out why he has this absolute faith in this apparently irreverent, flippant, quote, God, unquote, and that is because it's his brother. It's his brother. That's right. So all along, we've been seeing a brother relationship. It's kind of a counterpoint to Siri and Vivenna. Vivenna's mm-hmm. relationship. Um, Larimer and Light Song were very close, obviously, and we find out that Light Song gave up his life to save Larimer's daughter. Mm-hmm. And that apparently Light Song was always kind of getting Larimer into trouble. And if you read the annotations, there's the backstory of what they did to get arrested the other time. Uh. <laughs> but they've been thrown into jail together before. And we find that Light Song was not a, he was a scribe. He was not a, uh, not an he was action not hero a of any kind. cop of any kind. He clearly was no swordsman. Mm-hmm. His juggling skills were not because he was some gifted right. athlete. You know. <laughs> In chapter 54, Siri realizes that Bluefingers and the Pan Ka were behind the warmongering all along. And this na- whole time. This whole time. And they narrowly avoid being led into a trap. Vivenna finds Nightblood, and they head to the palace to rescue Vasher and Ciri. Lightsong discovers how he died and returned, and Vasher is tortured. So I really like like this chapter. We kind of have a little bit of damsel in distress leading up, but now we get to see both Ciri and Vivenna taking some action and contributing to their own rescues. You know, Ciri is the one who finally figures out that, wait a second, it wasn't the priests. The priests actually were trying to protect Sisebron all along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the Pan Cal who were, I think Brandon Sanderson did such a good job writing the Pan Cal in a way that you knew who they were. They're mentioned many, many times. You know that Bluefingers is a Pan Cal. He talks about it all the time. I'm not of your religion. I'm not of their religion. Like, yeah, yeah. We're our own people. But it never occurs to you. Or maybe it, it didn't to me anyway, that, oh, hey, maybe they're the ones behind all of this. No, I'm actually quite frustrated with myself about it because in the last 
section of Warbreaker, uh, when we read 27 through 40, I commented because we, we went back and forth about who are the pawn call. And I'm like, well, there's no, why would these people have any loyalty to the God King, Halandrin, Idris? They seem like the people who should be the ones to betray. Right. But I still, even having said that out loud, didn't really think that's where it would come from. Yeah, so it's well written. It is. And I love Vivenna talking to the beggar, going out into the streets, mm-hmm. like, and then finding Nightblood and him just being like, Hey! Hi! Vivenna! Yeah. <laughs> well, he's starting to build a relationship with her at this point. Right. But my favorite, my favorite part of this chapter was Vasher's scene with Denth. And Vasher looking at Denth at one point and thinking, there's still a good man in there. He's just been beaten down. And Denth is probably my favorite Brandon Sanderson villain because he's he's nuanced, but he doesn't get a redemption arc. Yeah. Like, there's plenty of nuanced villains, but then eventually they get to work to become good guys. But mm-hmm. Denth, like, doesn't get that. It's like, no, he's not black and white evil. Yes, he's probably still a good person who made really bad choices and then is only just acting the best way that he knows how. But then he gets killed before yeah. anything happens with him. Well, is this the book? Cause I'm, I'm starting to sometimes conflate the books, but Denth is the one who says, if I'm not mistaken, every man is a hero yes. in his own story. Yes. So, you know, as you said, in, in Denth's mind, He's making all the right choices and doing the right things. Right. Which I think adds to the tragedy of that character. Mm-hmm. Right? Having said that, he's still a dick. Still don't like him. He's kind of Captain Hammer. Yeah. Right? A little bit, yeah. He's Captain Hammer if Captain Hammer, you know, also wasn't a buffoon. Like, right. Like, ha- had a little bit more capability to him. Right. Chapter 55. Siri and Trelides get honest with each other. She discovers that the priests never intended to kill Susebrin at all. The previous God King's deaths have all been faked whenever an heir appeared so that they could retire in peace. Trelides and the other priests sacrifice their lives so that Susebrin and Siri have a chance to escape, but they are captured by Bluefingers anyway. Bluefingers reveals his plan, Bond villain style. <laughs> and Vivenna breaks into the palace. Yeah, that is a little bit of Bond villain in here. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, now I'm going to tie you to this altar. I shall Very raise slowly. the dagger above your heart. Slowly. I'm not going to hold it above your right breast. I'm not going to hold it above your left breast. I'm going to place it between your breasts. And this is where I shall... Oh, the bad guys are here. <laughs> Again, though, what I like about this is it's another, they have another sort of come-to-Jesus moment with Trelides. The priests rush in to try to stop the pawn call and and again Mm -hmm. are just immediately brushed aside. You know, every sort of thing that they try to do here to stop the pawn call is just completely ineffectual. Right. Just totally impotent. My favorite part of this chapter is, so Vivenna, she breaks into the palace. She has night blood. Um, one of the ways that she get past, gets past some guards is that she 
she throws Nightblood at them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then one of them picks up and picks up Nightblood and she hears Nightblood's sort of inner monologue as it's killing these men. Mm-hmm. And one thing he thinks is, so much evil. <laughs> it says he's tisking like a woman sweeping away cobwebs. So much evil. <laughs> well, also Nightblood specifically asks Vivenna to to draw him. Yes, yes. And she wisely does not do that. Yes. But it makes you wonder, like, what would happen if she did? And I think we find out more about that later. Right. Well, in Chapter 56, we get to see Nightblood drawn. Yes. In Chapter 56, Vivenna pulls off a daring rescue, and Vasher and Nightblood are reunited. I'm not going to do it. What? I'm not going to do it. What? I left it there for you. Reunited and it feels so good. There it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't I can't help it. I can't. So I like Vivenna being sort of a badass here. Yes, but what I especially like about it is not that it, it's not the 130 pound woman running right. around knocking out 300 no, pound no, men. No, yeah. Good, like she's a badass in a legitimate way. Right. You know. But she manages to climb in the window and at yeah, least absolutely. disrupt the torture. Yeah. And is able to disarm Tonk Fa in a very clever way. Absolutely, yeah. Because she remembers that part of her breath was in a in a cloak when she escaped from them the last time. And she never drew it back. And she never drew it back. And then she realizes that Tonk Fa is wearing the cloak still. Like yep. he didn't Because <laughs> he's a dummy. <laughs> he's a dummy. So she's able to awaken the cloak and get it to attack both of them. And that, you know, enables Vasher to escape. Then she also um, sacrifices herself so that Vasher can get out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's then or right after this that Vasher draws Nightblood. Yes. To kill like dozens and dozens of lifeless. And Nightblood consumes tons of breath from him and you can also this is where you start to see him bearing the physical effects of drawing night night blood with the the veins and the you know right so this is something that comes at it you know this is a superpower but with an extreme cost to it at least at least in the short term an extreme cost we don't know if it has a long-term cost we also see night blood really changing once uh once it's drawn his voice isn't this kind of friendly sort of, hey, you want to destroy some evil? He becomes like a, a booming sort of inhuman destroy evil kind of thing, which is just a nice eerie twist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we know that later we find out that Nightblood doesn't remember anything once it's drawn. Because <laughs> I think in a later chapter it says like, I don't really remember, but I'm sure we destroyed lots of evil. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this chapter ends with Denth throwing a dueling blade at Vasher and saying, get up, we're going to you know, finish what we started. And mm-hmm. this whole book, Denth has been talking about, there's no way our steel was the best, the best duel. There's no way that Vasher could have beaten him and I'm going to beat him in a duel. And, and mm-hmm. again, it's like building up, building up, building up. And it's like, are we finally going to find out is Vasher like this master dueler that we didn't, that nobody really knew about? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. I guess out. we'll find out. In chapter 57, Bluefingers 
reveals his plan to sacrifice Ciri on an altar in order to spur Idris to attack Halandran, as Susebran is thrown into prison next to Lightsong, who finally remembers why he returned. Lightsong gives up his breath to heal Susebran's tongue, giving him the ability to use his power and rescue Ciri. Meanwhile, Denth is defeated by Vasher, who uses an unconventional trick to best him in a duel. We discover that Vasher is one of the five scholars and responsible for the many war. This is an exciting chapter. This is an exciting chapter. This is where this is where it all comes to a head. We have Siri about to be slowly sacrificed. The By Butterfingers. Slowly moving towards her. Yes. But I'll tell you what. It shall be. <laughs> it shall be here on this altar for the world to see. Do we have the cameras? Are the cameras in the back? Make sure we have a clear <laughs> shot of this. I shall slowly pierce your... Oh, I dropped the sword. Let me... Hold on. Let me get it. Nobody move. Oh, yeah, Butterfingers. I mean, Bluefingers is definitely a, a an amazing mastermind, but when it comes to actually stabbing someone, he uh, you know. doesn't do... He probably should have hired someone to do the stabbing part. He's like, I hadn't really thought this part of it through. <laughs> Didn't imagine I'd have to actually do it myself. <laughs> You just can't find good assassins these days. <laughs> but yeah, this chapter, when Light Song realizes that he was sent back to heal the God King, and then he does, and you're, you're just like, ah, oh. I don't know. My heart was like, oh, yeah, definitely feelings. Well, and this is so usually in a lot of fantasy novels, when you get right down to the end, and it looks like everything's going to fall apart, there's some game changer. There's some ancient thing everyone forgot about. Or right. there's some power that nobody could access before. That's, there's something that immediately shifts the balance of power. The queen is, you know, put back on the chessboard. Right. And, and now you're able to defeat the bad guys, right? But in this book, we don't, know what that is you know mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the things that's interesting about a lot of brandis anderson books is that he has so many sort of moving things on the chessboard mm -hmm. that it it could have been a number of things but it is instead it's sasebron with this awesome amount of breath finally able to actually use it mm -hmm. which to this point he's been nothing but an enormous, devilishly handsome piggy bank. Right, exactly. <laughs> We're going to put all our breath in this dude for a rainy day. Right. <laughs> and now he's actually able to use it. And then, you know, as we see later, you know, become Superman. And it's totally badass. It's so badass. When he bursts in... Every bit of cloth in the palace just unfurling like a like a damn giant squid. And this and this would be an amazing movie scene. Yes, it would. Yeah, it would. You know, this this book would make a really good movie. Although there are a lot of like you couldn't get everything into an adaptation because right. it would be seven hours, but. You can get the core of it in. Yeah. Like, you can get the core of the story in. I think visually this would be an awesome movie. It would be an awesome movie. When we finally get the duel between Denth and Vasher, and... The, and it 
And we find out how he beat Arsteel. Yeah, by being a shitty swordsman. Right. He gives him sort of the Dunkin' Egg treatment. Like, mm-hmm. there's, you know, he, you don't have to be better than everybody if you remember that there's no rules. Yes. There's no rules in fighting. And so Vasher wins by giving his breath to Den. All of it. Yep. Which is like, and then killing him. Which is I mean, unheard yeah. of because there's there's no way to get that back. Like exactly. nobody would ever do that. But that's what he does, and that's how he beat Arsteel, and that's how he beats Denth as well. Yep. It's crafty. Pretty cra- I was just gonna say crafty. It's like we We're share on a brain. Wavelength tonight. It's like we share a brain. We would have to between us. <laughs> this late at night, I think we probably have one brain operating. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Chapter 58. Vivenna and Vasher join up with Ciri and Sisebran in order to stop the army of lifeless marching on Idris. Vasher reveals himself as peacegiver, and he gives Sisebran the command phrase for his phantoms, an army of lifeless encased in stone that have been hidden as statues throughout the city. So now we kind of get the wrap up, and we, we kind of had the main rescue in the last chapter, the, the kind of climax of the action but then there's still this problem that the Pankal before they were defeated yeah. were able to send an army of lifeless to attack Idris. Yep, the the nuclear warheads have already been shot. They're on their way to Moscow. Uh-huh. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Wake up all the statues in the city who are apparently zombies encased in stone. Why not? Why not? I mean, again, one of the things I love about this ending is, and and this is what I, I love about these books, is it was right there for you the whole time. The whole time, yeah. The whole time. You know, when you walk into a garden of terracotta soldiers, yep. they're going to be used. Right. You don't put a terracotta soldier on a, on the shelf in Act 1 and not use it in Act 3. It's right, right. there. Like, it's Chekhov's. And and the the Soldiers. mention of Kalad's phantoms throughout the whole book. Oh, what are Kalad's phantoms going to come back? And like the the idea that there is a hidden army somewhere. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. that's been mentioned this whole time, hidden right in front of your stupid noses, right? The whole time. So yeah, it is neat how that groundwork was laid. The other thing that's interesting, and I'll bring it up here just because you mentioned Kalad's phantoms. The name Kalad. Is in has been mentioned in Words of Radiance or in um, Stormlight. Okay. I think. I mean, we have Kaladin. I feel like it's a. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like it's like a throwaway curse where somebody says Kalad's ghost or something like that. Maybe I'm conflating the books. Kellek. Kellek. Kellek's breath. Kellek's breath. But again, Kellek's breath. Kalad, mm. Kaladin, these, and we have these people who have lived for a long time here. There's some. Well, and we definitely know there is a world hopper crossover between Nalthus and Roshar. That's true. Absolutely. Who has apparently lived for quite a long time. Mm hmm. And likes to tell stories. I don't know what it means, but just the similarity there in the names, I feel like, can't be entirely 
pointless. I don't think it's entirely coincidental. I don't know what it means. I don't know either. Maybe nothing. I'm the one who thought the priests were killing off all the uh, the awakened. That was a good theory. Yeah, not really. <laughs> it was a wrong theory. <laughs> In the epilogue, Vasher and Vivenna head off on the road. He explains his history to her and how he managed to survive as a returned without taking breaths every day as they saunter off into the sunset. Kind of a game changer. Right? So this kind of ties up the loose end of, okay, if he's a returned, how is he, like, how does that work? You know, we've, yeah. we've been taught that the returned have to go through this ritual. They have to have a breath. Apparently, you can live on a stockpile of breaths. Seems like we should have known that, but... But it never came up. But again, why would we? You know, yeah, the, yeah. the returned that we have met don't know don't know enough about their own no. powers. No. You know, and I and I, I wonder if the five scholars kind of kept it that way. They were five who were returned, who, you know, kind of did most of the research and the discoveries surrounding awakening and probably kept as the world moved on from that knowledge, kept that knowledge to themselves. It doesn't seem like the priests know it either. So I th- They did because they, well, they talked did. about Susebrin being able to go into retirement. Oh. Because he's been given two, sometimes three breaths every week. Every yeah. week. Which is still kind of messed up. IMO. So that's it. That's the book. What did you think? It was a good book. It was a good book. It was enjoyable. I like the characters. Good, exciting ending. Lots of stuff happens. Things get wrapped up, I think, in a way that's satisfying. Yes. Good book. Yes. Really enjoyed it. I think that these shorter sort of one-off novels are, are I don't want to say they're more enjoyable than the, the longer epic novels, but they're, I feel like it's a good format to showcase Brandon Sanderson's writing. Mm-hmm. You get the, it's not nearly, it's not, as epic of the avalanche of plot because there isn't as much built up to it, but it's still hugely enjoyable without also having to read 1,600 pages of setup. So I think they work really well for his style of writing. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, some of Brandon Sanderson's short stories and novellas have been some of my favorite of his work as well. So maybe we can do like a one-off of a couple of those sometime, but you should definitely read those too. Sometime, someday, somewhere. Eventually. Eventually. I'm talking short stories. Okay. Tiny ones, <laughs> novellas. I feel like we've I feel like we went from dipping our toe into the Brandon Sanderson pool and then somebody came along behind us and shoved us in. <laughs> right. right into like, the deep end. Party foul. And then every time I try to get out, you're standing there pushing pushing your foot <laughs> on my head. I'm just saying, y'all should read The Emperor's Soul. It's amazing. And Shadows for Silence in the Forests of Hell. That's an amazing short story. Cool. Sounds like good stuff. I'll need something to read since I can't move forward in Words of Radiance. Well, you can read. Okay, so not you, the general you, anyone you who is still listening to this, God bless you. Um, Brandon Sanderson's has a collection of all of his short stories and novellas together in a book called Arcanum Unbounded. And he has a he does have a snippet at the beginning of each one telling you whether you could read it 
some of them you can read and it's not a spoiler. Some of them are on worlds in the Cosmere that we haven't seen. And you can just totally read them and enjoy them. I think Shadows for Silence is one of those. But you you can read that without necessarily spoiling other books if you heed those warnings. That's it. That's all I have to say about that. Are you ready to answer some listener questions? Oh, we have questions. We have listener questions. I put out one if you have questions about Warbreaker, now's the time to get it those. for us. All right, I'm excited about that. Yes, do it. All right, so we start off with Wallace Baker, who says, Warbreaker is an extremely aggressive way to say peace treaty. <laughs> it's true. I would say it's a me- more metal way of saying peace treaty. Uh, Susan King says, where do you see the Cosmere crossovers in each book, and what predictions do you have about them? What predictions do you have? I'm not sure how to answer that without giving away spoilers. I don't really have any Cosmere-related predictions in terms of, like, crossovers from book mm-hmm. to book. Hoyt and Vasher showing up from here and, and ending up in Words of Radiance, really the only sort of crossover that I've seen Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like I know enough about the greater Cosmere itself Mm -hmm. to really be able to speculate. Mm -hmm. So I really don't have any predictions at this point. Beth Ann says, will you guys do an episode of the new Game of Thrones season? And we we had uh, somebody by the name of Mike email us and ask the same question. Mm -hmm. Will we cover Game of Thrones? And we have wanted to cover Game of Thrones, but it always happens to work out where there's like one or two weeks during the season that we can't be there or we can't podcast. Something happens and we're not able to do it. And when you have this sort of short, very time-sensitive activity, you can't just spontaneously take two weeks off in the middle of it. Like, that just doesn't work. So, never say never, but I don't think we'll cover Game of Thrones. Dob Babalina says, fantasy casting? Well, obviously, I've already stated, and I think we can all agree the Denth has to be played by Nathan Fillion. All right, fine. I'll give it to you. I Captain s- Hammer references were slipped in. <laughs> respect the hammer. <laughs> you must respect the hammer. I uh, think Lightweaver, I'm sorry, Lightbringer and Laramir are clearly Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. <laughs> I'll give it to you. I... I see, I know this is a weird one. In my head, Blush Weaver is Cecily Strong from Saturday Night Live. I'm Googling. You'll know. You'll know you'll know who that is. And Okay, yeah, I can see that. And this is not a casting person. Well, it's a voice cast. Nightblood voice actor, same one who does Ola from Frozen. Nightblood loves that. warm hugs. He does. Josh Gad is his name. Josh Gad, yes. I can see that. Um, I saw Vivenna always as Emily Blunt. Uh, she was at the new Mary Poppins. Oh, okay. She was also in uh, 
that movie with Tom Cruise, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, I don't. Is Tom Cruise still alive? You watched it with me. I did. Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Yes, it was right before Christmas. We were wrapping presents. Shannon, she's a real corker. No, not not the same one. Okay. <laughs> Katrina Knutson says, "My colleague asked me this question, and I struggled with it. If you only had to pick one to watch." Would it be either the new Game of Thrones or the new Avengers movie? Uh, I mean, for me, that's easy. A question gives me hives. <laughs> You're breaking out before me. <laughs> They're, wait a minute. I see something in the hives. <laughs> it's spelling something. <laughs> it's a giant M on your chest. <laughs> I know where your allegiances lie. <laughs> For me, that's very easy. Right, Game obviously. of Thrones, I, I'm not into the... I know this is sacrilege to say, I'm not into the whole superhero movie thing. They're not like... I don't like dislike them. I'm just not as enraptured by them as everybody else seems to be. They're all right. I'll just say I was really happy that at least one of our children also likes Marvel movies. And when he got old enough to really come and see all the PG-13 movies with me, I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you got your roll dog. I do. I have my, my movie buddy. Also saw this on social media this week and thought it was a brilliant question. What's the shadiest thing you've ever said to a child? <laughs> or the shadiest thing they've ever said to you? I don't know, but one time, and this was just shared on my... Oh, gosh, those like Facebook memories or whatever. This was like years ago. So she was probably our youngest was probably four ish. Mm -hmm. And she just came up to me and handed me a note. And You know, your kids give you little notes. You're like, oh, and I opened it up. And all it said was, I see you. <laughs> and that was pretty shady. <laughs> that was pretty shady. Ooh. <laughs> you know, I've posted this joke on Twitter before on my non my non podcast Twitter feed as though it were just a joke but this really did happen where I I'm the one who usually puts the kids to bed at night so this was uh almost 3 years ago and I tucked in our oldest I tucked in the 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 boy good night love you Tucked in the the middle sister. Good night. Love you. Tucked in the then five-year-old, and I said, you're a vampire. <laughs> I walked out of the room. <laughs> and she just, and, all, and as I'm walking out of the room, she's just like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> she was just confused. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> That's hilarious. And it explained so much about that child. <laughs> no. That's she, when she started passing me weird no, notes. No. She, this, no, she was messed up before any of that happened. <laughs> I take I take no responsibility for that. She she ate light bulbs far before any of this happened. She was eating soap in the shower far before any of that happened. Good question. Good question. So there's a whole thread in the in the um, in this 
Facebook post mm-hmm. that links to what a bunch of other people have said mm-hmm. that's really hilarious. So worth going out there and, and if having you're not on our Facebook group page, why aren't you on the Facebook group page? I mean, one of the other shadiest things to me is what our, our nine-year-old says to me all the time. She's constantly like, just like, I don't like you. <laughs> to, to, she just does that to get your attention. She does. It's 100% an attention thing. Tonight before uh, bed, she so that, I mean, apparently this stuff happens all the time. So a couple of hours ago, I'm putting her to bed and she's like, if mommy had married that other boy <laughs> that she wanted to marry, <laughs> things would be very different now. And I was like, if mommy had married that other boy, you wouldn't be here. And she's like, no. I'd have kept the good half. <laughs> oh my god! I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, that's, so that's pretty much a nightly occurrence for me. Well, when I put them to bed, they just constantly tell me that I don't do it right. So, <laughs> I mean, if that makes you feel Appar- any better, apparently it's roast time. It's just roast if, time. If you don't have a good roast, they can't go to bed at night. <laughs> All right, that's it. Do you have anything else? I don't. Okay. You can find us on our you can find us on our website at the Duke and You can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. If you haven't joined our Facebook group page, what are you doing with your life? Come check us out there. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Reddit. Goodreads, all the social medias. Just search for the Duke and Duchess podcast. We will pop up. Where are we going to be May 25th at 7 p.m.? On May 25th at 7 p.m., we will be hosting our 100th episode live from Balticon at the lovely Renaissance Harbor Place Hotel. Yes? Yep. yep, Yes. Renaissance Harbor Place Hotel. We will be there. You should be there or be square. There might be t-shirts involved. I don't know. There might be. There I make might no be. promises. We, but it is going to be a party. You should come check it out. There will be Kool-Aid and cookies. Well, now you're just throwing out extravagant promises. <laughs> Your mouth is writing checks that I don't know if this podcast can cash. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Good night.